0: Today, my brother and I are gonna be speaking about a very important topic. Before I begin, I wanna see the hands of those who know somebody, maybe yourself, or a loved one or friend that is struggling with addiction. What about drug and alcohol addiction? Yeah, I I think that everybody in this room could probably raise their hands to that. Today, um, we are gonna be discussing What are some ways you can rescue POWs? We entitled this Rescuing POWs. POW simply stands for Prisoners of War. What are some ways, what are some things that you can do to reach out to help these individuals? This is what I'm gonna be talking about. After that, my brother is gonna take over and he's gonna speak about how to overcome addictions. Before I go any further, I would like each and every one of you to join me in a word of prayer, and as we pray, I ask that you all pray for yourselves, and ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your hearts and mind to give you understanding, and while you're praying for yourself, um, please say a word of prayer for, for me, amen? So I'll pray out loud, and you all just pray in your minds. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, Lord, to be assembled here, your people, Awaiting to hear some truth from your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our sins, Lord. And clear our minds from distractions, Father. And as we focus on this most important topic, on how to reach and save those in bondage. I pray, God, that your spirit would enlighten us to think along trains of thought that we never thought before. And that whatever I say, Lord, your spirit will magnify it to the hundredth power and give people understanding that they can understand according to your spirit, Lord. And so, Father, I am grateful that you care about us, you've bled for us, and you've bled for these prisoners out there who are bound by chains of addiction. I thank you, Lord, for your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you brought your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and when you have it, please let me know by saying amen, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, have got a couple of amens, all right, sounds a little better, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Amen. Here we go. Look with me, if you will, starting at verse 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. My wife and I, we live in PUC in Angwin, beautiful area. How many of you have been to PUC? Beautiful campus, beautiful nature. I mean, you walk outside of my where we live, my front door, and you can see the night stars so clear. However, we were in San Francisco on, on Sunday, just past Sunday and it's total opposite from where we live. Compact, filled with people, back in the city, the dirty streets of San Francisco. And we were walking down this street on this past Sunday, and I I was pretty much assaulted, being that I come from Angwin now, and I'm not used to coming to the city as often as I was back in the day. As I'm walking down San Francisco, I'm seeing hundreds of people all over the street with careworn faces. Leather beaten faces, faces that been through some rough stuff. Now, you don't have to tell me anything. I can look at these people and I can tell that they're held by chains of alcohol addiction, amphetamines, heroin, you name it. I could see it on their faces. I was walking down that street and it struck me profoundly because I said, Lord, there's a lot of people living here with no hope. One brother was sleeping on the side of the street with no shirt on and he was sleeping like it was no, no, no big deal and everybody was walking by him. He smelled as if he hadn't, hadn't taken a shower all year. Another guy was there on the side and he had his hoodie all over his head so he could catch some Z's. But what struck me the most was there in the middle of this sidewalk was this, was this woman. And she was on her knees with her head between her knees and her, her arms were out and her mouth was open and she had this cup of change right there in front of her. And I looked at her, and I said, Lord, she looks broken mentally, physically, emotionally, on all levels. And it struck me that day on Sunday. I said, this is the testament of Satan's kingdom. This is what he wants to do to all humanity. And I felt like Solomon on the way back home. I returned, and I considered all the evil works that were done under the sun. And on the side of the oppressed, their tears, they had no comforter. But on the side of the oppressors, there was power. Recently, we heard the tragic news of Robin Williams, Williams, who gave it, killed, killed himself on Monday. What struck me profoundly about that was, here was a man that dedicated his life to make others laugh. Every time I thought about that guy, I saw him smiling. And here, we find out that in his heart was something total opposite. It's a testament of Satan's kingdom. What he has to offer you in this world. And he also struggled with uh, addictions in his life. And as uh, Taj mentioned today, you think about all the the artists and musicians and all them who've struggled with addictions in their lives. The Bible says, speaking about Lucifer, Satan in Isaiah 14, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms? That made the world into a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners. Today, we're going to be talking about how to reach into that house of prisoners and how to rescue these prisoners of war. What is addiction? Addiction is this it is the overconditioning of your brain's reward system. Everything you see, everything you hear, you're listening to me right now, it's a chemical reaction going on. We're like a bunch of chemistry machines out here. But you have certain chemicals in your mind, such as in your brain, such as dopamine, and when you do things that make you feel good, dopamine goes off and it's a chemical reaction. When you over condition your brain's reward system, that's addiction. The question is why do people get addicted? How do people? get into addiction. To understand how to help someone, you got to know why. I have, I've been to a lot of N.A. meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and I have yet to meet an addict, a recovering addict, someone who's struggling with addiction, who does not have a past filled with pain. What did I say? Pain. Say, say pain, everyone. Pain. Everyone, the Bible says we are born in, into trouble, the book of Job. Now there are different ways that people deal or cope with pain. There are many people who grew up in divorced homes. Parents split up. It has a profound traumatic effect on the child. There are many adults walking around this world that are affected from their childhood from a divorce and they don't even really realize it yet. Sexual abuse, physical abuse, death in the family a sense of unsatisfaction, unhappiness in your life. I used to work at this job, warehouse job, for eight, nine years. Hated my job. First thing I wanted to do when I come home from work, my back's hurting, didn't like what I was doing. First thing I wanted to do, go to the bar, get some beer. I just want to reward myself for my day. I had a hard days at work, so I want to just escape. Let me talk with the fellas, let me watch the game, let me drink some beer, and let me just escape. As I'm drinking that beer, what's going on? My reward systems are going crazy now. Because when you drink this alcohol, dopamine, and feel good stuff, chemical reaction is occurring. So on the weekend, guess what I would do? I'll go to the club, listen to the music, li- uh, do some more drugs, get on cocaine, and, uh, and alcohol, and weed, and I will escape away from my pain, from my unsatisfaction, from my unhappiness in my life. I wasn't satisfied with my job, my apartment, my place, nothing, but I had this escape hole to go through. Many people are unaware of the pain that they're carrying around, and they don't know how to cope with it. But after the the music was turned down, after the drugs wore off, after the alcohol wore off, and I'm laying there in the dark in my room, looking up into the ceiling, reality I have to face is always there. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, verse 13, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. After all the mirth and the escape of the reward system, that heaviness is always there. But when the heaviness is there, and I'm feeling the pain again, it's natural for an addicted person to escape from that pain and go and feel good. Because let me tell you something, when you indulge in drugs and alcohol, it feels good at first. It's an escape. Some people are not sociable. Some people are not so cool they feel. They're not accepted, they're not likable. But when you do drugs and alcohol, you're more bold, you're more confident, you're more cool, you're more likable, you're more acceptable, at first at first that's why it's a uh, it's a it's a enticing thing and that draws people because it actually does deceive you into believing that you're gonna be always like that so people get into addictions for those reasons for pain unsatisfaction and unhappiness but remember this any attempt to escape from pain brings more pain when I worked at my job for a week, and I would do that, smoke and drink to get away on a daily, and then the weeks go by into months, and then the months go by into years, the whole time my goals, my aspirations, my plans, they're out the window. I'm not motivated to do anything because I'm always high and I'm drunk. But guess what? The years are going by, I'm still at the job I don't like, so the pain is increasing. My relationships are being damaged. My job performance is being damaged. My physical health is being damaged. It's a tornado all around me and within me. And the pain is piling up. And when the heaviness comes, when it all wears out, I go right back to my escape hole. And that's the trap that begins in addiction. But how to rescue someone in that trap? Here's, this is what we're here for. Turn with me to the book of Hosea, chapter four. Hosea chapter 4. And when you have it, let me know by saying amen. Hosea chapter 4. We're going to read these scriptures, and then I'm going to explain something. Look with me, if you will, at verse 17. The Bible reads... Ephraim is joined to his idols. Let him alone. Turn with me to Psalms 81. Psalms 81. The book of Psalms 81. And look with me, if you will, at verse 11. Psalms 81.11 reads... But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. My mother prayed for my brother and I for 17 years. 17 years. For the majority of those years, I was in a state of what I call security or a functioning addict, meaning this. I was still somehow to get some kind of income, some kind of money. I was still able to feed myself. I was still able to do what I do and do my drugs at the same time. So in my mind, I'm not that bad. I'm not cracked out. I'm not homeless. I'm just trying to have a little fun. I'm going to go party. I'm going to do a little drugs, but I still can do my job. I can still function. A functioning addict on this level, what I call phase one of addiction, is the most difficult person to reach. Ephraim is joined to his idols. Let him alone. I gave them up to their own heart's counsel to walk in their own lust because they would not hear. You can't rescue someone that does not want to be rescued. Turn to Psalms 118. Psalms 118. I want to read something to you that's powerful. Psalms 118. But there's always hope, family. There's always hope. Look with me, if you will, at verse 18. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. If you have a loved one out there, this needs to be your prayer. Lord, chase him sore, chase her sore, but do not give them over unto death. If that means they have to go to the hospital five times, so be it. If they have to starve, so be it. If they have to go to jail, so be it. That means if you are supporting them financially, Buying their food, enabling them in any way, you need to stop. You must stop. It's difficult. It's extremely hard. But if you love them, you have to do it. Because if you're buying their food, you're paying for their drugs. That money they're going to use for food, they're going to use for drugs. If you're paying for their bills, you're paying for their drugs. I remember my brother and I will be on the way to the club in the car, and the engine will blow up, the tire will blow out, and we're fishtailing on the exit uh, like a pinball on both sides of the rail. Sometimes we will be on the side of the road, and the cops will pick us up and take us to jail. One time I was at a gas station, and I got beat up so bad I had to go to the hospital, nose broke, my, my face was cracked, and I had to go into the hospital. There were times when I had a supply of my drugs, and I was getting it from this bad doctor, and that supply dried up. My health was drying up. Eviction notices on my door. My car was breaking down. I was being chased sore. One of the main things that's going to get somebody to start turning around is if there's pressures in their lives. If they continue to fall down on their back, Lord, chase them sore. We've got to remember that this is a war. And this is very serious. It's going to take some persevering prayer For this to happen, the Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read something to you. Hebrews chapter 1, and look with me, if you will, at verse 14. The Bible reads Speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Who's heirs of, who, who are the heirs of salvation? That's you. Now the, the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to who? To you. That time when my car should have went off that rail over hundreds of feet, that time instead of getting jumped and gone to the hospital, I should have died at that gas station. That time, instead of us going to that party where we could have got shot and stabbed, but the cops took us to jail, you know what was happening at two, three, four in the morning? My mom was waking up, crashing to her knees because God woke her up and told her to pray. And she was praying for her boy, boys. And it is the prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says, that availeth much. The servant of God says that a prayer of faith can accomplish a work that no other work that a prayer of faith can accomplish. Only that can accomplish this special work. You know, what she says the angels of heaven have been waiting to cooperate with human humankind. And she ends the statement saying they are waiting for you. These angels are waiting to hear the command of Jesus from a prayer of faith to go and help your loved ones to go and help your brother, your sister, or those struggling in addiction. It's a tough thing to do, but you have to pray and believe in your prayer, believe that the angels are there to preserve their lives. I can tell you story after story when my brother and I should have died, but we're still here because the church was praying and my mother was praying. One more important thing I wanna tell you for phase one. This is all phase one addict here. Do not give hope in giving them the Word of God. It is of utmost importance that they receive the Word of God. If they already grew up in the church, to me they have a little more of an advantage because the truth is, is in there. The seeds are in there. But if they haven't, the point of rescuing POWs is you need to be rescued yourself. You have to be so in tuned with the Spirit that you have to listen to God as to when you could drop the word on them and when not to, because let me tell you something, you could come with all the truth you want to, but if your approach and your timing is wrong, then it's all bad, it could backfire, it can backfire. You need to be able to listen to the voice of God, know when he's speaking, and know when to speak if you're gonna be serious about saving your loved one. In this stage, because Ephraim is joined to his idols, let him alone, he's on his own path. And until he or she falls down so much, then they're gonna realize. But you drop that word on them when you can. Because you know what, no matter their stoic facade that they may place in front of you, when they're back in their room in the night and all the drugs fade off and that heaviness is there, that pain, that unhappiness is always there, and if you came by earlier that day and you dropped the scripture on them, like Isaiah 50 verse two, one of my favorites, is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. Scriptures that we may take for granted nowadays like come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For someone who is restless and heavy and unhappy, that scripture is so profound. The word of God in Jeremiah is like a fire. The Lord says, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Some of us got some rock heads. And God said, my word is the hammer. You just let the word do the talking. You don't even have to do the preaching at this stage. Let the word do the talking. Because in the dark night of their dungeon in their lives, The scripture has a profound supernatural power to reach into a heart that no human has. And and it's different when they're reading it straight from the word versus from you. Certain times. Now, I want to make this clear that you must be in tune with God. I don't have all the answers. God does. The whole point of this is you need to be so in tune with the Lord as you can know his voice and you know what to do and when to do it. When a person is chasing so sore, their life situations in combination with the word of God and prayer, 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 you have to get them to the point where they're chasing so sore. And some people's heads are harder than others. To some people, it takes them decades, in and out of jail, in and out of hospitals, but you keep praying. You do not give up, you keep praying. Because you know why your prayer is keeping them alive. It's keeping them alive. When they're chasing so sore to the point where they've deteriorated enough, my brother and I were on Oxycontins, and it got to the point where we were taking the drug not to get high anymore, we were taking it to survive. I hated it. Now this is full-blown addiction. This is what addiction really is when you hate it, but you don't know how to live without it. You're trapped. It's a love-hate relationship. I had to take the pill in order to function. It didn't even get me as high as I wanted to. And, 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 and for four or five hours, every four or five hours, I had to get another fix. And it was such a miserable condition for me. I was sad, I was broken, but I did not know how to get out. Has anyone ever watched on television, like maybe World War II or Vietnam, and you see, or maybe the recent wars, a resc- an actual person being rescued who was a POW, a prisoner of war? What did they look like? They were, they're usually thin and wasted and emaciated and they usually have to get carried out on a stretcher and to the chopper and you gotta put oxygen on them, they need nutrition, they need, they're bad, they're banged up. You think about these people in that same condition. They need you to be the stretcher bearer. They need you to carry them. They need you to take them to the right position, place, hospital, facility. This is what I'm saying, you need to do all the work A person for so many years, all they've done is escape from their pain, escape from their pain, escape from their pain, If they've never faced it. And meanwhile, all their pain and their unsatisfaction is still there, and it's increasing. Now when they've been broken down mentally and physically, they're even in a weaker state than they were when they first started. They didn't have the courage to face their stuff when they first started, so what do you think their courage is at right now? What do you think their motivation is right now? Their clarity is right now. Do you know if you had a chemical printout of yourselves right now, on a piece of paper over here, and then you have a, a life of addiction, and then it's your same chemical printout, it'll look like two different people. You know why? Because you're essentially changed. You are different. You wonder why they're not the same anymore. Because they're not. Chemically, they're not. They are POWs, oppressed. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, my family. And I am fully convinced that these demons of addiction are one of the worst and most difficult demons to get out of people's lives. Jesus said this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. Demons that control people's bodies. And there was power on the side of the oppressors. You need to, do, you need to find out what facility they can go to. You do all the legwork, say, hey, I've looked up this place, I found this facility, it's gonna cost this much, this counselor, this remedy, whatever the step is, the plan, the program, you come up with it. If they're at this stage where you know they're bitter, they're angry, and they're not satisfied, and they're willing to admit it, they're willing to admit it, I hate it, but I feel trapped. If they're at that stage where they're willing to admit it or you sense it by the spirit, you present a way of escape to them and say, will you go? They need a stretcher bearer. They need you to carry them out at that point in time. Another thing I want to share with you. I had met God while he he revealed himself to me. I, I shared my testimony last night. And God had showed Himself to me that He was really there, and I said, "Wow." And I was going to the Bible studies, and I was very moved. And but you know what? I, and I and I enrolled in a, in a place to go to recovery, and I was going to go. But in the meantime, a couple of months before I went, I still had to take the drug in my system to function. And so I'm at my place on a on a, on a late night, and I'm angry because I'm going through withdrawal still. And I'm thinking, "What do these people at the Bible study know what I'm going through?" I'm over here shaking, yeah, God is good, and the devil is getting into my mind. I'm saying God is good and all that, but man, nobody knows what I'm going through, and the pain is excruciating. I've broken bones, I've burned myself before, but withdrawals is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And as my nerves are on edge and I'm shaking, I'm watching this television screen, and it's very blurry. And there's a pastor talking on this screen, and he's telling a story. He says he goes to the hospital to try and console this woman who had just lost her son. He goes into the hospital, and the woman sees the pastor, and she says, Pastor, I don't want you in here. I don't want to hear nothing about God. What does God know about losing a... She was going to say, what does God know about losing the son? The pastor was sitting there silent. She was sitting there silent, and they, they just didn't say anything. The pastor then began to speak as I was sitting on the couch, shaking, angry. The pastor said, what does God know about losing the son? Matter of fact, what does God know about pain? And that got my ear. He began to talk about Jesus and how he experienced the worst emotional pain, worst mental pain. And I saw Jesus through the blurry uh, television, him getting whipped and his back being torn. I saw Jesus uh, dragging his cross down, and he was shaking. And I saw Jesus shaking as he was hanging on the cross. And that did something to me on that couch as I was shaking. I didn't feel alone anymore. Not only did I not feel alone, I broke down in tears on that couch because I was humbled. Because I said, I'm complaining about my withdrawals. Here's this guy bleeding, sweating, not even opening his mouth, not even complaining, and he's doing it all for me. I did this to myself. There's something powerful that happens when you can identify with somebody that's been through what you're going through. It means everything to someone in that position. Identification is key. If the person is willing to go to an NA or AA meeting, I highly recommend it. If they are willing to go, take them. There's something powerful that happened to me when I went to recovery and I sat in the back of these AA, NA meetings, and people would get up and talk about the same thoughts, dark thoughts, same feelings, same struggles, same addictions that I was going through, and I identified with them. I didn't feel alone anymore. And on top of that, I saw somebody on the opposite side of addiction that made it out, and it gave me hope. A person caught up in this trap is a completely hopeless person. You lose, you, there's no motive, motivation for yourself, your mental, your whole thing has changed. But when you see that, it sparks hope. Lastly, I want to share this with you. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we there? As I read through this, I want you all to think about where Paul is as he's writing this letter. Paul is actually in prison, and he has his freedom taken away as he's writing the book of Philippians. Look with me, if you will, at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places... And and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. The brother's in prison. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The brother's in prison. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Where's this brother at? He's in prison. This this is my favorite right here. Look at verse 21. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. This brother's in prison in Caesar's household. A prisoner of the emperor Nero in his household. This brother says that my chains, my bonds are witness and they're manifest in all the palace and everybody that's looking at me in my condition are receiving strength and they're talking about Christ more boldly now because of me. This brother went from from Jerusalem all the way to Rome in prison and started a church in prison. Did you get that at the end? All the saints here at Caesar's household salute you. Now, how did this brother go to prison and start a church? You know why? Because brother Paul was walking around the palace with those chains, rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Brother Paul was content in any state that he was in. He had a hymn and a song on his heart. He was encouraging and exhorting others. He didn't complain. He didn't murmur. He didn't dispute. And you know, everybody else started to take notice of that. Why am I walking around this palace all free and this brother's in chains? But why get the sense that this brother's more free than me? The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." It was something that caught my mind in the dungeon of my room in the dark when I experienced the heaviness. You know what used to bother me? I said I was free to do everything that I wanted to do in my life. But yet this image continued to plague my mind and get on my nerves, and it was the faces of my parents. I kept seeing my two parents smiling and happy and glowing, and I couldn't figure it out. I said both of my parents went through a lot of hard stuff in their life. But every time I think about them, every time I go around them, they're always happy. They always have this glow about them, and it bothered me. When I would sit at the back row of the Bible study, and all these people would come to the Bible study talking about, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Brother put his hand hand on my shoulder and said that to me. I I wanted to slap that hand off my shoulder, but his eyes (laughs) caught me. It was as if Jesus was standing right here and he was talking to Jesus. Lord Jesus, hold on a second. Brother, taste and see that the Lord is good. I felt like this brother was so confident in Jesus, it shook me. And you know the loudest sermon that you can speak is not with your mouth. It's with your life. It's with your godly example. Are you confident in Jesus? When you step into people's presence, do they know that you've been with the Lord? When people are angry at you and all your co workers are complaining, are you complaining with them? When someone cuts you off and takes what's rightfully yours, are you upset or are you rejoicing in the Lord always? In everything, give thanks, the Bible says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When people do bad to you, do you bless them? Do you pray for them? Do you do good to them? You know what happened when I was at the Bible study? I realized that the word was powerful, but when I saw the word in front of me, when these guys were talking about their testimonies and their struggles and their praising the Lord, how they carried themselves, how they behaved, how they even taught their children, I never seen nothing like that with my coworkers. Out there in the street, it stood out, and it bothered me. I want to read a quote to you, take it from Acts of the Apostles. Paul's countenance won many a soul to the gospel because he had a heaven born peace expressed on his face. Paul carried with him the atmosphere of heaven. All who associated with him felt the influence of his union with Christ. The fact that his own life exemplified the truth which he proclaimed gave convincing power to his preaching. Here lies the power of truth, the unstudied, unconscious influence of a holy life is the most convincing sermon that can be given in favor of Christianity. Argument, even when unanswerable, may provoke only opposition, but a godly example has a power that is impossible wholly to resist. I'll say it again. If you want to rescue those in affliction and addiction, make sure God has rescued you first. He has to rescue you first. So, if you want to save somebody, that means you got to walk closer to the King. That you can have an atmosphere of heaven about you, because it's your godly example in your life that'll begin to make people think God is real. You know what that did to me in the dark corners of my room? It got me saying stuff like this: "God, are you really there? God, are..." I heard you're helping all these people. God, can you help me too? And it got me to the point where I put that pillow down and I cried out to the Lord for help. And tears were coming out of my eyes and my heart was broken. And there is one that hears the groaning of the prisoner to loose those that are appointed unto death. He brings them out of darkness and the shadow of death and breaks their bands in summer. He is sent to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Psalms 146 declares, the Lord looseth the prisoners. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from her bonds this day? Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Lazarus, come forth. Daughter, I say unto thee, arise. Hold thy peace and come out of him. Be not afraid, only believe. Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Peace, be still. And there came a leper beseeching him, kneeling down unto him and saying unto him, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and said unto him, I will, be thou clean. Be thou clean. He looketh upon men, and if any say I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit to be enlightened with the light of the living. Remember the Lord looseth the prisoners. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that it is not our power, but it is your power that others must see. And, Lord, we are grateful for the, for the suggestions and the counsel that your spirit has spoken to all of us today. But may we take the best counsel, and that is to draw closer to you, for you are the source of wisdom and strength and discernment and everything, God. And, Lord, we want to take this time right now to pray for our loved ones in our minds, those whom we are thinking about right now. We pray the prayer that you would chasten them sore if you must, Lord and work your power in their lives, and work your power in ours. We are thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.